I'm Jackie Lydon, and this is The Seams. Clothing is our common thread. In every stitch, a story. The Seams weave some Irish history today. March is when we celebrate St. Patrick's Day, of course, but this spring, 2016, marks a century on from the Easter Uprising in Dublin. The tragic, bloody events of those days led to the creation of the modern Irish state, and there's going to be lots of celebrating on both sides of the Atlantic. Irish style has come a long way, too, and we thought we'd lead off our Who I Am and What I Wear conversation with Anne Anderson, who happens to be Ireland's first-ever female ambassador to Washington. Last year, we celebrated uh, 90 years of Irish diplomatic relations with the United States, so 90 years passed before uh, a woman ambassador arrived here. How do you get dressed for coming over? Did you even think about, hmm, I have a sartorial significance, I have to carry the flag, and how did you want to look? Uh, of course, I think when you're an ambassador, it's always on your mind how best you can represent your country, and you want to do it in every way you possibly can. Uh, and of course, promoting Irish fashion and Irish design is part of that. So yes, I guess it's my duty as ambassador, but much more than that, it's my pleasure also. There is wonderful Irish design, Irish fashion. So I did think about how I could use the opportunities here to promote that. And for example, when I had the pleasure of presenting my credentials to President Obama, uh, of course, I thought about what I would wear that would mark the occasion, and I wore a dress by an Irish designer and a green dress, and that gave me great pleasure to walk into the Oval Office doing my bid for Irish design. And who was the fortunate designer? Aideen Bodkin, one of my favourite uh, Irish designers. Do you think about a personal style or just think about how you like to put things together? I guess I do have some sense of a personal style. I like clothes that are fairly simple, uncluttered, unfussy, and I particularly like colour. I know black clothes can be extremely elegant, but I rarely wear black. Colour gives me a lift, I find it very joyful, uh, I find it changes my day. So you will normally find me wearing uh, quite colourful clothes. Now, I just want to say, uh, for everyone listening, that you are wearing a stunning, beautiful green sheath today with a sort of asymmetrical neck and little cap sleeves. It's very slimming, very beautiful. You look stunning. Is this an Irish designer? Yes, actually by the same designer that I mentioned, uh, Aideen Bodkin. Especially for the month of March, I love to wear green. It's sort of expected by the Irish-American community, but more widely. Uh, people enjoy seeing the Irish ambassador wearing green during this special month. So I don't wear it every day, all the time, <laughs> but uh, there's a big swathe of my wardrobe <laughs> that is green and it gets a lot of use at this time of the year. Thanks, Ambassador Anderson. We'll come back and finish our conversation in just a bit. But first... Let's take a drive along the coastal road called the Wild Atlantic Way, all the way up to County Donegal. Donegal has breathtaking beauty. It's in the northwest of Ireland, shadowed by the Sleeve League Mountains and bordering the grey-blue Atlantic. Our destination is the village of Kilcar. And there, at a bend in the road, is Studio Donegal. In a picturesque Art Deco white building, it's both a retail operation and a knitting mill. You're listening to the sound of the knitting loom at Studio Donegal, Spinners and Hand Weavers. This is a really good sound to hear because this small craft tweed operation had to be completely revived about 30 years ago. You could think of it kind of like a craft microbrewery. I want you to meet one of the founders, Tristan Donahay. 
He's a tweed throwback and he's a hand weaver. And anybody else who wants to call their tweed handwoven, fair enough if it is, but if it isn't, remember that there's me out there who is handwoven and the truth will out one day on you. So, you know, if you're going to make handwoven tweed, you've got to be, if I say, it's a bit cheeky of me, but you've got to be as good as me. Tweed, of course, is a colour-flecked or tightly patterned woven wool, an Irish tradition. Would you tell me a little bit about where the yarn for tweed comes from? Well, the yarn for tweed is a woolen yarn where the fibre in the yarn is random in direction. But to really make a tweed yarn, you should really have nice little neps or spots of colour in it, which are, again, added in to the blend, either at the beginning of the blend or maybe, depending on the type of feed you have on the card, you may be able to add them in later, which is something down the line we hope to be able to do. But at the moment, we would be buying most of our tweed yarns from the spinning mill about 500 metres down the road. Once all the farms in Donegal had weaving or hand-looming operations, but by the mid-20th century, cottage industry was largely gone. Textiles globalised, Irish manufacturing of cloth kind of plummeted. Studio Donegal revived the craft by becoming trendy, contemporary, making their tweed soft and supple for a generation used to fleece hoodies. I mean, if I produced old, hard tweed, as was produced 100 years ago, there'd be no future. I've got to hand weave, but I've got to create and design and produce interesting and beautiful things. Today, the mill uses merino sheep's wool from Australia. Irish wool, they say, would take the back off your legs. It employs about 15 people. These are jackets that have been made which are going to going to Japan in a 10 days time. Um, there are other jackets going to Germany. Uh, these cushions are going to a company called Makers and Brothers in Dublin. And so it's, you know, there's, you're constantly juggling, trying to, put or, trying to keep every customer happy and put orders in, while at the same time keeping some reasonable level of production. Or you can just hang out and watch some of the weaving. Wooden looms for hand weavers don't look a lot different today than they did hundreds of years ago. Big, boxy things. Brilliantly colored yarns are being threaded through them. Motors power the looms, of course, but here the patterns are woven and guided by hand. John Hina, a Donegal man in his 50s, is just finishing for the day. So you're hand looming everything here? All hand woven, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. There's actually herringbone style if you're familiar with it. Yeah, herringbone pattern, yes. Of course, the herringbone pattern is the most classic of tweed patterns. Hina comes from generations of hand weavers. And the small town land that I came from, there were six houses in it, and there was eight handling weavers. So it was the first thing I've ever seen in my life. I grew up with it, like, and I remember, like, sitting on, on on the street with my father, like, See, his accent is as authentic as the tweed. Now, millennials work here too. At the next loom over, there's 24-year-old Kevin McGillicuddy. His uncle and grandfather were hand loomers. He's weaving a brilliant red diamond spiraling down a gray background. It's called American Twirl. There's a combination of different designs in this. You have have one design out here, Mm -hmm. and then you have another design in here. Mm -hmm. And in the center here, you have your main diamond. You can see it better down here, you know. And when I'm making this, I count as I go along. And I change on 24 on the middle. 
and a reverse and uh, that's, that's how I create the diamond. It'll take him about five days to make 90 meters of cloth. That's enough for maybe five jackets. Studio Donegal makes about 10,000 meters a year. But, says Tristan Donahay, he and his father Kevin Donahay want these machines to work for them. They don't want to work for the machines, like at an industrial operation. So their livelihood depends on visitors or online customers like you. Do you fancy a beautiful scarf or a waistcoat? And as I keep saying to young people who come in, this isn't uh, a jacket, you know, for an office dandy with a flower in his lapel. This is a jacket for a real modern man because come evening, as I say, he can turn his collar up, put his lapels across, run home, keep him warm. When he gets home, he can roll up his sleeves and help with the dishes. <laughs> Now that's a twist of the modern on Irish tweed. Studio Donegal, hand spinners and weavers, is at the Glebe Mill, Kilcar, County Donegal. Now, let's head down the coast to Connemara. When I got married in Ireland in 2004, all the men's jackets in the wedding party were made out of that Donegal tweed. My husband and I are both of Irish descent, and we got married in Clifton. The tweed jackets look smashing. They were designed by the great American menswear designer Alexander Julian. For myself, I turned to a woman I'd met in Dublin, the Irish designer Helen McAlinden. She is great fun, and I told her... I didn't want to wear white. We couldn't have been less traditional. We dressed you in a russet red silk velvet. It was an autumn wedding, so we wanted the colours to reflect both the scenery and the season. I wanted to reflect your personality. We gave you a slightly vintage look. And then we coordinated all your wonderful bridesmaids in the colours of the countryside, also using that silk velvet. Helen didn't make the dresses. She sent the fabric to each woman, and they chose their own patterns and seamstresses. The dresses were a surprise that way, but they were coordinated in a rainbow of hues. I think my favourite was a gold backless gown with this long fishtail train, worn by a radio producer from San Francisco. She'd had Chinese makers sew it for her, and into the lining they sewed Chinese symbols for good luck and happiness. My dress had a bustier that laced up in back, a floor-length skirt, and a velvet stole around the shoulders. Helen had the idea that I should match the era of the building we got married in, so we're talking 19th century. The whole purpose was we wanted to have that wonderful vintage feel, but we also wanted something that was going to work for the whole day of your wedding, which started off in that lovely little church in Connemara. Middle bit was the reception, and then the, the whole evening, which was, you know, a great party and dance. All night long, the velvet and the tweed swirled around the dance floor of our historic hotel, which stood on a windswept peninsula that jutted out into the Atlantic. The idea in Ireland is that you dance all night until dawn. The guys look great. They wore a wonderful, rich, multicolored tweed jacket. And yeah, unusually, they wore denim, uh, denim jeans. A great American Alexander Julian type combination. It was a great wedding, Jackie. <laughs> Indeed it was, starting with choosing the right guy. My husband's a photojournalist, so were many of the guests. So if you want to see pictures from this wedding, please join the seams.org and the party. The very last people to depart were the musicians, who fell asleep at six in the morning over their unfinished pints of Guinness. And the dress? I still have it. I'm just waiting to be asked to a state dinner or a country ball in order to wear it.
We have to talk now about the Irish coming to America because so many Irish people have crossed the Atlantic. Margaret O'Leary is one of them. We met up with her in her latest boutique in Lower Manhattan. You look cute. <laughs> and there's pockets in that. And she pointed to a picture on the wall. I'm one of 12 kids, and that, that photo is uh, showing three of us. And I'm one of them. You'll notice we're all wearing the same kind of Aran sweater. Aran jumper, if you will, was the name we called it back in Ireland. And my mother knit for every single one of us. Margaret O'Leary hails from a hard scrabble farm in County Kerry. As a kid, they didn't have a lot of store-bought anything, but her mother taught her how to knit. I mean, I could go back to the day that I was actually born, and my mother had the knitting needles actually in her hands, because that's what you do. You go to the hospital, you give birth, but while you're waiting around, you're knitting. I'm not saying I saw her knitting, but I swear I saw her knitting, kind of. I assume it was she who taught you to knit? How old were you? I just saw her doing it all the time, so I tried to copy her. And she would give me the easy things to start with. You always start with a scarf, you know, right? She never thought she was the best knitter in the family. But I had a desire for fashion, so I'd be, I'd want to wear something beautiful, so you'd have to make it. Why did you have to make it? Because back in those days in Ireland, there were no sweaters available like today. Everybody made their own. And then you pass them down. All the kids would pass them down to each other. And that's where, you know, you see patches in the sleeves that were all done because of poverty and necessity, actual wearing out of a sweater. On the other hand, Ireland has such a tradition with uh, raising sheep and uh, making wool and making yarns and knitting itself. Did you feel you were part of a tradition? Oh, I think I took it for granted that that tradition was there while I was growing up, and it wasn't until I immigrated to the United States that I thought, oh, not everybody can knit. Eventually, in the 1980s, after graduating from college, she left Ireland. She thought she could get a job in Silicon Valley, and she did. She actually had a job with stock options, but she was miserable, feeling underpaid and frustrated, so she quit. But she did need to work. Hunger is a great sauce, you know? So (laughs) I needed something to do, and actually somebody said, do you know anything about sweaters, Margaret? I said, sure, I can help you. And he said, I'd love to import sweaters from Ireland. And I thought, oh, I can do this. I can make them here. So I bought myself the sort of the simple knitting machine and made very simple styles in my bedroom in, the, in San Francisco. I kind of went door to door to little boutiques, and I said, would you want any of these? And they would direct me and say, don't make them wool, make them from cotton, and... Will you give them to me on consignment? And I said, sure. And one store led to another store, led to a sales rep, led to me hiring more people. So I had a lot of the Irish community helping me out. And then the Barney's order came in. The Barney's order, that Barney's on Fifth Avenue in New York. Barney's was a game changer. She got an order for 400 sweaters, and she called on friends and family from all over to come and help her make them. I had a Chinese landlord that took mercy on me. I think he was, felt sorry for me that I was working so hard, so he gave me his basement for free. So I was down in this basement with all these looms going swish, swish, swish. 
switched and I just kept making sweaters and the orders got bigger and more people bought. Now it's like, this is great. Thank God for America. <laughs> she wasn't the first Irish immigrant to feel that way. She and her friends kept at those machines. She opened a store with a few sweaters, hoping people would buy them, and they did. And she reinvested her money in her business, opening more stores. Never gamble more than you can afford to lose. Mm. So I'd made a little money in turning around, more sweaters, more yarn. It wasn't like I was borrowing from the bank to open a store. Do those sweaters have any relationship to the gorgeous things we're seeing in this shop now where you've got all these? Look at this, just behind you. It's the rack of the most beautiful cashmere scarves and all kinds of pastels from peach to a deep mauve to a mint green. In those days, was it simpler? Was it gray, white, and brown, black, white, and gray? Or That's a great question because in the 80s, do you remember everything was kind of big and boxy? So, was I live then, Margaret? Yes. No, you weren't. <laughs> but let me take you back. <laughs> no, you weren't. They were boxy sweaters. So they were really essentially a square. The front is a square, the back is a square, the sleeve is almost a straight line. Now we have a lot of detail and fashioning and rib, and you need real technical equipment. I did very simple sweaters because I was restrained by my simple hand loom. I was lucky. Simplicity was in vogue. Lucky me. Today, I couldn't do it. In recent years, it's gotten too expensive to manufacture anymore in San Francisco. She moved her manufacturing to China and Vietnam. She's up to 14 stores now, from Mill Valley to Boston. But in every collection, there's always a garment which keeps a part of Ireland in front of her customers. There will always be a heritage sweater, if you will. You'll always see the iron stitch appearing somewhere. So for fall, I'm doing the tweeter sweater. And it's kind of a a cotton sweater, but it has zips that open along the sides to give it, you know, fashion forward, newness, if you will. So it'll always be a twist on something from the past. Something named for the places of home. Connemara bomber jacket, the Galway pullover. A trolley turtleneck, get the Aran Islands cardigan, you get the idea. As they say, you can take the girl out of Ireland, but when you look at these beautiful sweaters, you'd have to agree, you can't take the Ireland out of the girl. Let's return to our conversation with Ambassador Ann Anderson. She's from County Tipperary, and she certainly has loads of opportunities to fly the sartorial flag this spring. Ireland, of course, is a country always associated with creativity and imagination. But for so long, this was expressed more in our literature, in our theatre, in our music. And we were a little late coming to the visual side of things and um, uh, the developing our indigenous fashion industry. I do think that's true because I think that for a long time people had an idea that was um, traditional and tradition's important, but it can also make you stuck if you don't innovate. Absolutely. And as you say, the tradition is important and the objects like Carrick Macross lace or Donegal tweeds, the Aran sweaters, we are very proud of all of that. 
uh, for so many people, it encapsulates their image of Ireland. But I think what surprises people when they go to Ireland, when they see, for example, the women see these beautiful dresses by Irish designers, a whole range of Irish designers, and their dresses that you're not going to see everybody else wearing here in the United States. So I think there is an underestimation by uh, American visitors to Ireland of the breadth of the fashion that's going to be available there and very, very seductive. So St. Patrick's Day is coming up and it's not just any St. Patrick's Day because we're 100 years on from the Easter Rising of 1916 and it's a big day for the Irish ambassador to Washington. What are your plans? What will you be wearing? It's going to be a very full day, as every St. Patrick's Day is. Our Taoiseach, the Prime Minister, will be here. Then we go to the Oval Office to meet the President. We're on the Hill with Speaker Ryan and, again, the President, party in the White House. It's a very full day. So Obama, of course. (laughs) Of course. And I have to say, Mrs. Obama always (laughs) looks beautiful. She always wears green on St. Patrick's Day, and she looks stunning, as always. So, yes, I will be wearing green. Uh, I haven't yet decided what I would wear. I look at the weather, see how I feel. But it will be something green and something by an Irish designer, that's for sure. Ambassador Anderson, thank you so very much for talking with us. It's been a great pleasure, Jackie. I've really enjoyed it. And that's it for this Irish episode of The Seams. Our producer is Katie McAuliffe. Our editor is Katie Isley. We have production help from Ramona Martinez, Elaine Heinzman, and Georgie Goldstein. Our web designer is Jess D'Amico. We have a lot of photos from this episode, so check them out on our website, theseams.org, and all of our socials from our Facebook page to Pinterest for The Seams Podcast. We'll see you next time. And sláinte from The Seams. I'm Jackie Lydon, your head seamstress. Sit down, my friends, and pour yourself a beer. You thought in the homeland in 1890.